Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. In school, it's just not encouraged. We're crying out for young people to do apprenticeships. What you need to do is be on my side. Every time that it happens, we have to talk about how the good men feel. They sent me on for psychiatric assessment, and they said that the thing that's going to fix it is housing. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. So there's probably people all over the place who have a Liverpool fan in their life. And they're thinking, my God, if they actually manage to pull this off, the quadruple, my Liverpool fan will be insufferable. The only thing I can think about is, well, if you're going to do that, I think the fans are entitled to be a bit insufferable for a while. It's never been done, ever, ever, ever. And they are on the brink of it, the way they're going. Next couple of weeks we'll, we'll tell a lot But for the Liverpool fans In our lives We all have them uh, It'll be an interesting couple of weeks Like I said I, I think if they do manage to do this Quadruple Then they're entitled To a little bit of insufferability For a wee while Would you agree with me? I don't know Some people would Probably some people wouldn't 0818 96 96 96 It is the 4th of May Happy Star Wars Day. Maybe the fourth be with you. There actually, I know, I know, I know. There actually is a festival, an entire festival in Kerry devoted to this. And we'll talk more about that throughout the course of the morning. And anything else that is on your mind, uh, 0818 96 96 96. Just because we're not talking about something doesn't mean that you can't get to talk about it. So you help us to develop the conversation, whatever it is, is troubling you this morning. And one of the best ways to get in touch and to bring anything up is by WhatsApp voice note 083 396 96 96. Have another pair of tickets for Live at the Marquee to give away. Yes, it's only weeks away now. Tickets for the National and Dinner at Sober Lane pre-concert. That's coming up also across the next couple of hours. But we need to start by catching up on a murder trial that is continuing as we speak. And that is the murder trial of Karen Harrington, who is accused of the murder of two-year-old Santina Cawley, whose body was found in an apartment at the Elderwood Apartments on July the 5th of 2019, almost three years ago. The trial is taking place at the Central Criminal Court, which is sitting in Cork 
for the purpose and keeping up to date with it for us has been Ralph Regal of the Irish Independent. So Ralph, the trial has entered its second week and we are hearing now evidence of neighbours who were in the apartment complex on the night. Can you go through? the? the there's two people in particular, Dylan Olney and Aoife Neve McGalley gave important evidence yesterday. Yeah, that's right, PJ. The fifth day of the trial was very much dominated by evidence from people who lived in the Elderwood complex. And they were giving evidence about what they heard very late on the night of July the 4th and the early hours of July the 5th. Of course, July the 5th, 2019, around 5 a.m. That's the time that uh, Santina Cawley's body was discovered. Now, Karen Harrington, age 37, she denies the murder of um, Santina Cawley. And the evidence yesterday surrounded those early hours of the morning and what neighbours heard. Now, Dylan Olney lived in the apartment right next to Karen Harrington. He said he went to bed at 2am, but sometime later then he said he heard the sound of a commotion uh, on the apartment complex walkway. Now, he, he initially said it was like someone throwing a fit or a tantrum. Mm. He, he said he eventually went out to, to, to see what was going on and he saw the accused person was closing or very heavily or smashing the sliding door on her apartment open and closed. Now, later on, another neighbour would say that it was open and closed about 30 to 40 times and that it had also woken him. Now, Mr. Olney said he objected to that because of the hour of the morning and the fact that he was trying to go to sleep. Mm. Uh, there was an exchange between the two of them. Um, and at that point, then, he said Karen Harrington reacted to his intervention and she started shouting at him, Dylan, go and call them, call them, call them. And that was a reference to the guardie. Now, he said, I was a bit creeped out by it because she was acting very weird. Now, mm. later on, he said he heard what he thought was a baby crying coming from that apartment. And what he said was, I heard a child, a child crying. It alarmed me. I didn't think a child should be in that kind of situation. Now, he said he could hear a female voice in the next apartment. And he quotes, I could hear taunting. Oh, poor baby. All right. Stop crying, baby. Something like that. I thought her... Her, I heard her say, stop it or shut up. I said, I'm going to call the cops because I didn't like what was going on. Mm. Now, Mr. Olney did call the Gardaí and there was exchanges with Brendan Grehan and the, the senior counsel for uh, Miss Harrington. And Mr. Grehan was making the point that at that time and in that call to the Gardaí, uh, Mr. Olney didn't mention the baby. But uh, Mr. Olney was quite adamant. He said, I was very concerned for what I had heard. He said, I was concerned for the welfare of that child. Mm. And he said, the exchanges from this female voice to the child, he said it, it amounted to what he thought was taunting. And it seemed quite sarcastic. And rather than comforting the baby, the baby's cry, cries seemed to get louder and louder. Now, it was Mr. Olney that met the guardie when they arrived at the complex at 4.52am. Mm. He brought them to apartment number 26, which was the home of Karen Harrington but there was no answer. He said you, there was dead silence. He said you could have heard a pin drop and Gardy left a few minutes later. Just after 5am, Michael Cawley, Santina's uh, father, arrived back from Cork City Centre on foot. He had left the apartment complex at 3am. He returned just after 5 and seconds after he went into apartment number 26, he came back out shouting and roaring that his baby was dead and that the ambulance and the Gardy should be called. Right. And then we heard from another neighbour, Ralph, Aoife Neve McGalley. What did she have yes, to say? 
Ethan Eve McGalley's evidence was was similar but but quite different in tone. And what was interesting about Ethan Eve McGalley's evidence was that she exhibited quite a lot of concern for the welfare of Karen Harrington. Now she said that she had known Karen Harrington since her teens, and she had heard the sound of arguing, breaking glass, and screaming coming from the apartment in the early hours of July the fifth. And what was notable was she said she heard the sound of argument and that one of the voices was quite deep as if it was a male voice or a female with a very, very deep voice. Mm. Now, she said, it was a a bit after that that I heard Karen screaming. She was shouting, I'm going to tell them all. Then I heard glass smash, but it didn't make any sense at all. Uh, She got up in her bedroom, she got up, she got dressed, and she went to apartment number 26. And what she told the trial was, I was genuinely concerned for Karen's safety. As she said, I could make out the sound of someone sobbing. At that point, I was very, very concerned. She knocked on the door, Karen Harrington opened the door to her apartment, and Miss McGalley said she looked very distressed. She looked very upset. She was quieter in herself. Now, she said there was a Betty Boop statue that Karen Harrington adored. It was lying smashed inside the apartment with fragments scattered all over the floor. She said Karen Harrington apologized for the noise and for the disturbance. But she said, quotes, Karen came up and turned. I noticed a mark on the side of her face. It looked like a chunk of her hair had been torn out. I got the impression she, i.e. Karen, was scared of something. I got an uneasy feeling for her. Now, Miss McGalley returned to her own apartment, but she told the trial that she was so concerned for Karen Harrington and the events that had just occurred that she rang Karen Harrington's sister to alert her to those events. So where do we go today now, Ralph? Are they still on the stand or are we still taking neighbours no, both, both of those um, witnesses have concluded their evidence, PJ. Now, we did hear from two other neighbours yesterday afternoon. and We're expecting to hear further neighbours again today. Now, uh, as, as, as Sean Gallan for the prosecution outlined, this trial is expected to last for between four and five weeks. And we're expecting the medical evidence in the trial probably to be dealt with next week. Yeah, that will be very disturbing when it comes... Oh, it certainly will. I mean, what we were told in the outline evidence from or, or the outline statement from um, Sean Gallan for the prosecution was that uh, Santina Colley, when she was discovered by Guardian paramedics, that she had unrecoverable injuries. There wasn't a part of her body that didn't display a sign of trauma. And that a postmortem that was conducted at Cork University Hospital found that she had suffered a fractured skull, a traumatic brain injury and a serious injury to her spine. And the precise nature of those injuries will be outlined, of course, in medical evidence. Ralph, we will catch up again. Thank you very much. That's Ralph Regal from the Irish Independent speaking to me before we came on air this morning. By the Barn Restaurant, if you know where it is and you have to pass it in the morning, you'll know what I mean. Traffic by the Barn, it's down to one lane. There are big backlogs. Gardaí are on duty. Avoid the area, if at all possible. And at this time of the morning, that's going to be an absolute nightmare. So my thoughts are with you if you're stuck in that anywhere. 0818 96 96 96. Right, we're with the Live at the Marquee all this week. It starts in just a couple of weeks. It's great. We had nothing in 2020. We had nothing in 2021. And it's back in full effect for 2022. Live at the Marquee brought to you by Aiken Promotions to celebrate every day this week. Repair tickets for a gig at the Marquee and also dinner from our friends, a pre-concert meal at Sober Lane. Today, if you're a national fan, 
a fan of The National. They are playing the marquee on June 6th and pair tickets and a pre-concert meal at Sober Lane. A song of theirs, just a snatch. You'll need to be a fan for this. We want to give it to the fans. If you're a National fan, name the song and give me your name at 083 396 I'll play it a few times. Not much of it there. I'll play it again. I promise I will play it a few more times for you. If you're a national fan, you'll know it. Your name and the name of the songs, 083 396 9696. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Premier League Live, powered by Talk Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. Tune in Saturdays as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre-match analysis, live commentary, and in-depth interviews with some legends of the sport. Number one, that's top of the league. The Premier League Live. With now. Join in the experience with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. Listen every Saturday, exclusively online at 96fm.ie or download the Cork's 96 FM app. Courts 96 FM. If you're up Buttevant Way, there would appear to be an accident in the main street in Buttevant, causing delays in both directions. Anyone trying to get to or from Limerick or Charleville or anywhere like that this morning. Collision on the main street in Buttevant, causing problems in all the directions. And we just hope no one's hurt in that. Similarly, as we said just before the break, up by the Barn restaurant, it's down to one lane. Uh, big traffic backlogs, uh, Gardaí at the scene. 0818969696. We started talking about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. There is a protest planned for Friday called the FOSS March. Effectively, the parents and families of children with a disability up and down the country have just said, we have had enough. And a couple of the people that we spoke to over the last number of weeks on the opinion line, They've had enough. And the event is gaining momentum now. It uh, comes on Friday, and we will uh, be covering it on the programme on Friday. But just to look ahead, uh, we spoke about it first a couple of weeks ago with Rebecca O'Reardon. Rebecca, good morning. Good morning. Thanks, William, for having us on. Delighted. Your plans are coming together. Since you started talking about this, the people that have come to us with stuff, and unfortunately... Nothing we didn't expect about the problems they are facing, trying to get services, trying to get respite, trying to get care for not just themselves, well, not just their kids, but themselves. Shocking. Absolutely shocking. It is. And I mean, last year, as I am, uh, did a survey and they um, found out that 79% of those surveyed were receiving no services whatsoever. What is it that you are looking for at the march on Friday? You have a number of specific things you want done and want done immediately. The first would be the immediate outsourcing of private assessments or the immediate outsourcing to um, uh, of the assessment of need because there was 10,000 children just in the space of two years giving an un, given an unlawful assessment of need. And How do you mean we all unlawful? know that there was... How do you mean unlawful? 
So they were basically given a 90-minute screening assessment, which, when it was challenged in the High Court, was deemed to be unlawful because the Disability Act says that every child in the island of Ireland is entitled to um, have the nature and extent of their disability determined. Um, So, as you can imagine, 90 minutes with a child that you've never met before all they were getting was a piece of paper that says this child meets the terms of the Disability Act or they don't. And that gets them nothing. Yeah. Yeah, because it doesn't describe the nature of what they require. It doesn't. And I mean, to get into any kind of, um, you know, any of the schools or get any of those kind of, like, how are you supposed to support a child if you don't know what they need support with? Saying that they meet the terms of the Disability Act, that tells you absolutely nothing. Yes. You go to a school or um, you go to a service provider or you go to therapy of some kind and you present that and says, OK, it just says they need help. What do they need? I've no idea. Exactly. They've, nothing has been determined and the extent of that has certainly not been determined. Um, so the only way at this point, I mean, we shouldn't be relying on public services, but the reality is that we have allowed our public services to get into such disrepair that the only way we're going to get out of this hole at this point is to outsource those assessments to clear the waiting lists mm. and then start investing back into public services. And the third one, and you know, people come to us all the time with them, and we help as many people as we can. But as you say, Rebecca, there should be no need for any family to resort to crowdfunding to get something as basic as a wheelchair. It's, that's exactly it. I mean... It's difficult enough to navigate the system and to navigate all of these new words and all of these new, all of the paperwork and everything that goes along with that, to have to sit there and go, right, I'm going to have to go share my story in the media or with my community and and ask people to help my child to get this vital piece of equipment that I know they're going to need replaced. And then am I, what am I going to do? Am I going to do it again? It's it's wrong. We shouldn't. It should not ever be the case that a family has to fundraise for vital equipment. Something Somebody There's got no quite cross with me one time, Rebecca, a number of years ago when we did one of these. And the person said, you know, as long as you keep doing them, the HSE won't provide the services. To which I said, well, you know, we have to. The person needs the chair more than I need the grief from the HSE. Well, this is it. We need to, at some point, we're going to have to stop and ask ourselves who is in power anymore because... Clearly, I mean, we've we've seen it play out in the media recently. Uh, we saw it again last night in Mead with the minister, um, Anne Rabbit, saying that they were going to split up, uh, like she's going to keep the children's disability teams and Stephen Donnelly is going to take on primary care. Like, who is in? who is controlling the situation? Their response to there being gaps in the system is to create bigger gaps for more children to fall into. Mm. And... There doesn't seem to be, there's no, there's no oversight. There's no accountability. And that's, I mean, that's the problem across the HSE. There does not seem to be any accountability. But at this point, like, all we have left to do is keep shouting about it and, like, hope that's, like, something changes because we just can't go on like this. And the thing is, as well, it feels like an insurmountable mountain because we're on our knees. But... At some point, we have to get up and stand together because the only reason it seems like an insurmountable um, task is because we are on our knees. Mm. So if we get up and try, then we can do it together. Something that I think a lot of people found 
disturbing in the last week or two um, was Anne Rabbit. Now, I heard an interview with her yesterday. And to give the woman credit, she, she, she certainly seems to be trying to assert her authority with disability teams. But were you thinking the same as I was thinking? She was asking for meetings with disability teams around the country and being told, oh, you can't have that. Were you asking yourself the same question as I was, Rebecca? Who's running the damn thing? Who's in charge here? This is the issue, because when Anne Rabbit came to the meeting in Cork, I have never left any kind of anything so disillusioned and afraid because I thought, oh, well, we'll ho- the minister will be there, we'll hold her to account, she'll have a better understanding and she'll go off and do it. That wasn't the case at all. Every bit of documentation that she had been given by the HSE was either a, a distortion of the truth or a barefaced lie. And the reality is, they are, they, even all of the ministers before her have been given incorrect information like if we look at the if we look at the branches of government here right we have the legislative the judiciary and the executive and then we have a fourth arm which is above all other arms and that is the permanent government who nobody seems to be able to touch and that's what the that's what the issue is here and we need to we need to take that down because we won't get anywhere until we do. And our health service is going to continue to absolutely... All we're doing is creating private industry that widens the gap between people who have and people who have not. And when we're talking about children's disability services in particular, that is a grotesque idea. It really is. That we are, that we are contributing as a society to a situation where some children can get private assessments and therapies and some children can get absolutely nothing and can actually age out of children's services having never received a single appointment and then go into adult services that don't exist either. And don't even have a file on them, which they should have many years' worth of files. Now, you've been joined in your action, like you mentioned, As I Am, but also Inclusion Ireland are with you and Family Carers Ireland. You're expecting a big turnout. What time on Friday and where? It's outside the Grand Parade. Um, so it's on the Grand Parade at 10 o'clock on Friday. And we're hoping to get a big crowd going. Um, we're going to have some speakers the speakers are going to be just, they're, they're just going to be parents. We're going to keep it very simple and straightforward. We're just going to have a couple of parents talking um, and just, you know, just a bit of solidarity because realistically this is going to be an annual thing. This is going to have to be an annual thing. Um, the budget is in October. We want, we want to create a campaign to ensure that we do not go into next year's March with more money being spent defending um, these cases than there is in actually providing the services. Rebecca, we catch up on Friday when your event is underway. I'm one of the organisers of the FUS March, uh, which is Friday morning, 10 o'clock in the Grand Parade. I think they have one in Dublin as well. That's Rebecca O'Reardon. Just that thing came to my mind twice in the last week or so, and I was discussing it with someone who said, look, you know what happens, don't you, PJ? A minister rears up a bit about something, and then they're quietly told, settle down now, and keep your mouth shut. And I say, well, who's going to say that? But we had two incidents. When we have Anne Rabbit, uh, and again, I listened to an interview with her yesterday, and, and to give her due credit where it is due. She's doing her level best to, to take charge and to actually get people who work for her to actually work for her. 
We also had the situation at Onokura, and I couldn't get my head around that either, where you had the Minister for Mental Health turning around and saying it would be inappropriate for her to intervene with the HSE. You're asking the question, who is in charge? Who runs the damn show? And the same with Anne Rabbit. If Anne Rabbit has to practically get on her knees and go to the public airwaves or the newspapers to make a point that she as minister is entitled to meetings, who's running the blasted circus? If you go privately, says Maria, it's €450 for two hours assessment. That's a complete rip-off. Antoinette says we need the HSE and government to take responsibility for disability services. Not everyone can afford to bring their children to private care. The more private services that pop up, the less the HSE will do for our children. We have simply had enough. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Get ready to meet the Quartz 96 FM Street Fleet. Heading your way soon. This Saturday, meet the Quark's 96FM Street Fleet from midday at the opening of Pet World Blackpool. We're celebrating with a family fun event with lots of music, face painting and spot prizes. There's entertainment too from Bozo the Clown and special guests Paw Patrol. Join the Street Fleet between 12 and 2 this Saturday at Pet World Blackpool with Quark's 96FM. Practically since the day the place opened, I've been a huge supporter of Brew Columbanus and... and Great friends of mine have worked and volunteered there. I've never had to use its services, but you have, Lisa, and it's been a lifesaver in many ways for for your family. So in return for that, you've decided to do something for them. Good morning. Hi, PJ. Yeah, um, I have, yeah. So we uh, used Brew Columbanus last year, um, and it was, like you said, a lifesaver Um but they had this great idea of creating a cookbook to help raise funds for the charity. Yeah. So I very willingly um, submitted a recipe for them for that cookbook. Tell me about them and what they do for your family. Tell listeners who don't know. Um, yeah, so so they're a, a facility um, near Cork University Hospital, but it's used by all of the Cork hospitals where there's um, really lovely rooms and living spaces um, for families that have loved ones in in any of the Cork hospitals um, and they provide accommodation for you while your family member is is in the hospital. They're 26 rooms, they've kitchens, they've lounges, they've everything you could possibly want. Yeah, it is. It's really fabulous. I was actually very presently surprised when I walked in. It's um, it's like a really nice hotel room, um, really spacious um, kind of hotel family room. And then you have a, a shared kitchen, but there's uh, like five full-size kitchen, kitchens all within one area. So um, it's really nice because you get to meet other people staying there as well. They're actually in the same situations as you are. So even that alone is great yeah. support because often people outside the walls don't understand what you might be going through. And, you know, that is really, really good support. Um, just even those passing conversations can can pull you out of uh, maybe an upsetting time. Tell us a little bit about your own 
situation. Robbie uh, was born yeah. prematurely. He was, yeah. He was actually, he, he chose Valentine's Day to arrive into the world. Um, but he, he wasn't supposed to be here until the, the 22nd of April last year. So he was two and, two and a half months early. He was born at 30 weeks and three days. Um, and But my, my waters had actually gone five weeks before that. So um, I was in hospital from, from 25 weeks, which at the time was level five lockdown last January. Um, so that was that was tough going, but um, thank God he hung on from the 25 weeks to the 30 weeks and then decided mommy wasn't going to get pizza from daddy that evening, that he had different plans and he arrived. Yeah. Um, so he was born, yeah, he was born at just 1.14 kgs, which right. is about pounds eight ounces. And he needed so an incredible amount of care. So you needed to be nearby. Yeah, absolutely. I, I live in Clonakilty, um and I suppose I had been in, in hospital seeing nobody, had no visitors for six weeks before I was left out. And um, it would have been very strange to come home. Um, you know, I would have been coming back to, I suppose, my normal life without my baby. Um, but also trying to go up and down the road would have just been lethally dangerous actually because I would have been so tired yeah. I was expressing breast milk for Robbie every every three hours uh, including during the night um, and then obviously trying to get into him in the in the neonatal ICU um, as often as possible um, yeah. so you're you're really running on absolute nothing yeah, running, so running um, empty. and how did you find out yeah. about Brew Colabanus I mean it's only across the road but you, you didn't know about it obviously um, no, I, I to be honest, I had heard of it years ago. Um, just uh, in the locality, other people had used it, but I suppose you never expect to have to use it yourself. Um, but it was a really brilliant system. So when I was admitted to the postnatal ward, um, when they started talking about my discharge, uh, and obviously they knew Robbie was down in the neonatal ICU. Um, the midwives rang Brew Columbanus, um, knowing I was I lived in Clonakilty, which is um, I think it's further than thirty kilometres away, mm. is the kind of cut off. Um, so they um, rang Brew Columbanus and they arranged uh, a room for me um, straight away. So I literally I was discharged and I walked uh, from the hospital straight across to get my room in Brew, which was. Amazing, like um, I was, I was very institutionalised leaving the hospital. I was, it was very strange walking outside those gates after six weeks. Yeah. Um, but knowing that I was just straight across the road from Robbie made it a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, and that I could go over and in or out at any time in the day or Plus night. You can call them, can't you? And you can FaceTime if you, yeah. if you have to, and all that. So and it's all covered. Yeah. And there's no, there's no charge for any of this. No, no. So all they ask for is a donation um, because obviously everyone is coming from different backgrounds. Um, uh, so, yeah, they just there's no pressure. It's kind of the last thing you want to think about in, in situations like that as well. But, um, yeah, it's um, it's it's free, essentially. But they do ask for a donation yeah. because obviously it wouldn't be there without it is a charity. It wouldn't be there without um, donations. Yeah. So, um, yeah. It's really, really good that way. The book is on sale at the moment from Brew. It's called Not Just a Cookbook. What recipe did you put into it, Lisa? 
<laughs> um, I pulled it, I put in a pulled pork recipe that's done in the slow cooker um, with like a, a slaw as well nice. um, for the side. So yeah, it's it's a really it's my go-to one anyway because I don't know when I'm entertaining, I do like cooking, but I find I don't want to be standing at the cooker itself when people, when my guests are here. So that's your, that's, that's your <laughs> comfort, that's your comfort food. And how how is young Robbie now? He's excellent, yeah. He's really good. He's um, crawling mad and pulling himself up and will climb the stairs at any chance he can get. Um, so we have to keep our eyes peeled, but he's he's perfect. Um, he's really, really doing really, really well. And how's so, Dad? Um, we still have... Hmm? How's Dad doing? Yeah, he's great as well, yeah. So uh, I suppose at the time as well, uh, Dad, my husband, um, Dan, was is training with the guards. So he was actually in Templemore just before um, Robbie came home. Um, so he's doing really well. He's nearly nearly finished, he's finishing out his phase three of training, yeah. So, um, but it was it was lovely. Like when we were staying in Baru as well, you know, my husband was stationed in Bandon at the time and... Um, I think he got off night shift a bit early one night and he was able to go in to Robbie at like 4 a.m. in the morning before coming back to brew to yeah. sleep until his next night shift. So, you know, yeah. it, it just, it was, it was it was such a great facility for us um, and our family, I suppose, situation at the time as well to have the facility so close such, to the hospital. Such an ease to the mind. Thank you very much, Lisa. Good luck to you and to Dan and to Robbie for the future. That book is... Available from Brew Columbanus, which is a wonderful, wonderful facility. Just out there, if you if you wonder where it is, it's across the road from the hospital, down behind the African Missions Church. And uh, Anna Maria and the team down there do incredible work. And all they ever ask for is a donation. And if you don't have it, that's okay too. Thanks, Lisa. 0818969696. I want to do this because I... I'm very cross, actually. When am I never? I am very cross on behalf of a friend of mine and a friend of the show, and that is Eugene Forlong. Now, Eugene, one of the things that Eugene is responsible, for example, would be uh, he was part of the team that brought that wonderful Bransfield Memorial or Bransfield plaque down to uh, Ballinacorra. The, to commemorate the story of Edward Bransfield. And I remember when I discovered the story uh, through that wonderful show of Tom Crean, Eugene began to tell me stories about Ernest Shackleton and all the great explorers and the, the polar explorers. They're like Eugene's passion in life. And he knows more about them th- than many other people you could, you could meet. But he's been talking for years about Shackleton's cabin. The cabin that Ernest Shackleton used in his final expedition to the Antarctic aboard the Quest. And Eugene Furlong is talking to me about that cabin, I would safely say, for the last 10 years. And he's been over, he has a photograph of him sitting in it over in Norway. And Eugene Furlong played an enormous role in bringing or helping to bring or encouraging the bringing of that cabin back to Ireland. So watching the documentary the other night, beautiful piece of television, a lovely piece of television, got to tell you. But nary a mention, not a word, not a breath about Eugene Furlong, not even in the credits. The only thing I'd say about that is, 
not good enough. Come here to me. Um, what is the going rate at the moment for a communion? I'm not too sure what the person is. Is it Fiona? Is it how much they're expected to give the child? In the card or what? Yeah. So um, it's been a while now since I've been at a First Holy Communion and um, I've got two coming up over the next few weeks. And uh, one of them is my cousin's child mm. um, and the other one is the child of a very close friend. <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, what's the going rate? Like, what do you put into a card? Is it different for different relationships? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, well, you're in the communion bracket. Trust me, confirmations are a whole different ballgame. Um, communions, I would reckon, you say it's the child of a very close friend. Yeah, and then the other one is the child of a cousin who I probably would have been very close to growing up, but I'm not as close to now. I think you want to be popping 50 quid into each one of those cards. Really? And the same amount for, for both, yeah? I would think so, yeah. Okay. I, I'm not, I, like, that's just a conservative estimate, I think. And it's and and I mean I'm going to have a communion myself next year, PJ. And I think we were talking about this one day as well. Like, um, you know, the big communions that people used to have with the bouncy castles and yes. the chocolate fountains and all of that kind yes. of stuff in the garden. Is that still a thing now for people? Maybe listeners, let us know what's the what's the deal with communions now. <laughs> I saw someone advertising or looking on Facebook the other day for help to get a bouncy castle. They said they couldn't get one. That every bouncy castle guy they'd rang they'd rang. We're mm. completely booked out, so so clearly there's business out there for Bouncy yeah. Castle and Chocolate Found. I, I, I cannot imagine what possesses anyone to bring a chocolate fountain to a communion party. Oh, well, now I'd have no, nothing bad. A child in a white dress <laughs> or a young fella in a new suit. Can you imagine a white communion dress? that some people have paid the price of a small sofa for. Yeah, and a chocolate But once you get the first half of the day overdone with and get all the photographs and stuff like that, I'm sure the child is going to change it to something else anyway for the bouncy castle. So There's that. There's that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're so, wondering, and I, I haven't had a communion this year. Mm. Have I? Can't remember. Yeah, a commun- no, we have no communions this year in my house, but generally what would happen in my family, but what would generally happen, yeah, I'd say, about, I'd say 50 quid. Okay, well, maybe the listeners could let us know. What's maybe the going rate? 818 96 96 It's big, big business. Big business. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Hello? Marie Lynch. Oh, my God. You're Oh my god, this is super, thank you so much. Uh, Tell her where she's going. Um, have you been to Paris? No, I'm actually in shock sitting here. I was like, oh my god, <laughs> I can't believe it. I'm so happy for you. We've just given away flights, accommodation, spending money and tickets to see Ed twice. In Cork and Paris. With Blackpool Shopping District. No gimmicks, no notions, no paid parking, just shopping. It's what they do best. Stay listening for our next big way to win. Exclusively here on Cork's 96 FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-96-96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Oh, keep your suggestions coming. Everything from a tenner, and they should be happy with it, they're flipping eight, to 100 quid. Most people saying, well, some people saying, whatever you can afford. How much? It's communion season, so there'll be communions now every Saturday right through May. And if you've got one, they're a great day out. They are a lovely day out. But how much do you put in the card for the child? Fiona was telling me there before the news she's got two coming up. One is an old friend's child and the other is a, I think it's a relative's child. And she's wondering, like, what, what is it that you... Um, which put into the card and I said look the nice handy reckoner is 50 quid per child you can't really go wrong with a nice orange 50 euro note um, but then someone said well actually no for the child you're not related to 50 and for the child you are 70 it's almost like there's a price list your thoughts are welcome and the cost of the damn things like the cost of dresses Someone suggested, would you buy a second-hand dress? I I have heard that sometimes they keep older dresses from nanas and granddads and aunties and going back along. Maybe Mammy Mammy still has her communion dress or some bizarre thing I heard was Mammy's Mammy's wedding dress being cut down to make a communion dress. I, I don't know who does that, but I heard of it being done. I heard of it being done. 0818969696 with your thoughts. Live at the Marquee, we're with our friends from Aiken Promotions and indeed Soberlin all this week. Live at the Marquee starting in just a few weeks' time. Today, I have a pair of tickets to give to see the National at the Marquee on June 6th and a meal before that, pre concert meal at Soberlin. And we're giving these out now to fans. Okay, so you'll need to be a fan of the National. Uh, to get this one just name the song and give me your name okay 083-396-9696 what's that song by the National and what's your name okay I'll give it to you a couple more times we'll draw a winner at the end of the show tomorrow I have Crowded House and Friday I have Chic 0818-96-96-96 a big weekend it was a huge weekend for a young emergency department healthcare assistant from Coachford, 22-year-old Saoirse O'Sockmacy, Miss Cork, 2022. Saoirse, good morning and congratulations. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Crowned at the grand finale in the Metropole over the weekend. Has it settled in yet or has it sunk in yet? No, not not a bit, to be honest with you. Every morning I wake up and I just remember again and it's just amazing. Mm. What was it like when they, they called your name out? I honestly felt so surreal. I had convinced myself um, that I had my favourites picked out of my head as the other women. They're all absolutely amazing. And I never expected for myself to win. To even be in the top 14 was an absolute honour. How many were in the final shake-up? Uh, I think there was 31 of us all together. Wow. Um, yeah. Oh, they're all so such amazing women. They're a credit to themselves and their families. They're just brilliant. How did you come to enter? Was it a dream to try or was it just something you said you'd go forward for? Well, um, 
at the start of the year, actually, I was looking through my diary yesterday and I wrote out, you know, at the start of the year for my New Year's resolutions, I wrote out my goals and I actually couldn't believe it. I actually had wrote down I to win Miss Cork and I couldn't believe it because I hadn't even applied at the time. Um, it was just something in the back of my mind and I got reached out to on Instagram um, and I, my parents actually were the ones and my friends to push me. I said that I wouldn't do it and they pushed me and they said that it was a once in a lifetime opportunity and my God, did it pay off? <laughs> yeah, they must, they must be delighted. I, I bet you they're oh, saying we told God. you so. Oh, thrilled, absolutely thrilled. And like, even when I say I can't believe I won, they're like, sure, why wouldn't you? You know, and they, they always had, they always had, um, so much just pride and faith in me and I was just so grateful for them. Yeah. Busy year ahead. What are you looking forward oh, to very, most? I have so many plans. Honestly, just being a role model and trying to get so many messages out there that I want to spread across the country and across the county and, you know, like mental health services and I want to promote... Um, First aid as well was a, a big topic of mine, you know, that I think it should be kind of mandatory that everybody knows some sort of first aid. Yeah. It's very dangerous, um, actually, the amount of people in the country that don't know it and it can save a life. Yeah. yeah. Like you work in healthcare, you're a healthcare assistant. I do, yeah. Must, be a, must have been a, a horrendous couple of years, very hard going, was it? To be honest, it was tough, but it was so, so fulfilling. And it was the more, it's like being a healthcare assistant is probably one of the most rewarding jobs out there. You know, looking after people of all ages from um, all sorts of diseases, like uh, typically dementia um, is very close to my heart. And, you know, helping families through that. And you're so much more than just a carer. You know, you have to be a family member to them and you have to put yourself in their in their shoes and treat them as if they are one of your own. And mm. I wouldn't do any other job, honestly. There are people we kind of don't think about. We, when we think healthcare, we think doc- doctors, nurses, consultants. So what does a healthcare assistant do? Is it kind of in between? You do. Like, it's basically, so there's activities of daily living. Like, we all have them, you know, eating, drinking, getting dressed, um, walking, you know, going to the bathroom, all these kind of stuff that we can all do on a regular basis that we don't think twice about. But there are people out there, unfortunately, young and old, that just can't do that for themselves. So typically, healthcare assistants are, um, you're completely dependable on them for everything that you do, for getting up in the morning, getting dressed, um, eating, you know, all these kind of things. Mm. And um, it's such a privilege to be able to do that for someone that can't do it for themselves. And I hope someday, if I'm ever unable to do it, that someone will have the kindness and do the same for me. You you'll clearly love it. To to ease a bit or to to ease yourself down a bit, as it were, you work with rescue horses. Uh, yeah, in my spare time, um, I, my whole family's been absolutely horse mad. My grandfather was my absolute hero. He passed away there a few years ago and okay. it just broke my heart. But he was always mad into the ponies. I have cousins up in Meads who are very successful. Um, I have my own sister is trying to follow in my dad's footsteps. My dad was a racehorse trainer for years. Oh. We have an equestrian centre at the moment in Coachford. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so um, the... Uh, the Cove Rescue Centre are amazing. It's like, you know, the three R's for recycling. It'd be uh, reduce, reuse, recycle. Well, we say rescue, rehabilitate and rehome. So um, they assist neglected, like abused horses and they set up um, care needed for them and do their dental care, 
you know, get them vetted, they're fully vaccinated and just take them in when they've been malnourished and mistreated. Brilliant, brilliant and great to be involved with it. You have a, a tough act to follow. I, I remember talking many times to Zoe during, throughout the course of her year from last year. Zoe is phenomenal. She is just absolutely amazing and she's everything that describes a role model, to be honest. Um, on my first day, like even for my first rehearsal, like I kind of had it in the back of my mind that I was going to go to keep my family happy and that I would kind of back out slowly or, you know, whatever. But oh my God, when I walked in, Zoe was just a ray of sunshine. Her and David welcomed me and all the girls. Like one of the girls said the night of the final, you know, it was very awkward the very first night and there wasn't much chat going on. But oh my God, we've all become the best of friends. And I honestly think I found friends for life. Brilliant. It's it's a it's a tough, a difficult mantle to live or to lift, isn't it? Role model to be. Yeah. As a role, you're a role model. It's a strange thing to process in your head, isn't it? It is, but it's also like it's such a privilege. I think past experiences in my life through school, um, through like anything, you know, it's just. It's so important that young women um, have someone that they can look up to and to show that like, you know, there are brighter days and like a good quote is like, you know, we've survived every bad day we've ever had and that there are, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. And I think that the, the Pieta house is so, so close to my heart. They're my chosen charity, I think for, um, Miss Ireland and the whole darkness into light um, I just want to say that's actually taking place on the 7th of May um, and you know to get everyone involved and to sign up because it does show you that even though when you are in a dark time there is always light at the end of the tunnel and that um, friends and family can be there and like it's not it's not weak to ask for help it's actually a sign of bravery yeah. Are you taking part in one yourself this weekend? I am indeed yeah there's one in Ahabulog, um in my local community there is one in uh, Cove, there's one all over the country. I know the one from Cove, one of the girls is running it from Miss Cork. Um, and I know there's there's going to be people all over the country with um, heavy hearts and full hearts. And we're going to be remembering the people that we love, yeah. that we've lost. I love that line you used, we've survived every bad day we've ever had. Where'd that come from? Oh, I honestly think I, I've, I've um, seen it on social media to be honest with you, like, you know, there's so much negativity around social media and the things about it, but it can also be a very positive thing. It connects us to people that are, you know, very far away and abroad. And um, during the lockdown, it brought us all closer together. Um, We were all able to stay in contact, even though we were so far away, we were only a click of a button. Do you know what I mean? And I think working in healthcare and working in the emergency services, you see, I I definitely didn't realise actually how serious that mental health services were and how badly they're needed and how even just talking to someone can make or break their day. And I think that the masks that we were all wearing in lockdown, you know, like I think to me it kind of brought out a symbol that like we're all kind of walking around with a mask of our own, even without the lockdown. And it's so nice that we were able to take off the masks and smile at each other again and, you know, bring a bit of happiness back into the world. Yeah. So Miss Ireland is next. When is that on? Yeah, that is mental. I'm not 100% sure. I think it's the end of August, the start of September. My birthday is the end of August and my parents' wedding anniversary is the end of August. So I'm hoping for a bit of good luck. Yeah, you didn't write that into your goals diary, did you by any chance, no? No, my God, no. That is just a dream. (laughs) Someone even mentioned 
Someone even mentioned the word the words Miss World yeah, to me, and I was like, Yeah, what? well, you know what? Do you know what? Dream big, girl. Oh my God, absolutely. <laughs> Listen, congratulations to you, Saoirse. And I'm sure we'll talk, like I did with Zoe a couple of times. I'm sure we'll talk a few times over the next uh, 12 months. Have a wonderful year as Miss Cork. Thank you so much, PJ. Thank you for having me on. Cheers. That's Saoirse O'Shocknessy, Miss Cork uh, 2022. She wrote it down in her goals diary at the start of the year. Going to be Miss Ireland. She hadn't even entered. <laughs> 0818 She wouldn't have the lotto numbers for Saturday, would she? 0818 96 96 96 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM With the Cork City Marathon Take on your next challenge this June By running solo or with a team Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Simon Murdoch and the best music mix Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96 FM Your soundtrack to help you through the afternoon in Cork With all your favourite tunes Everything that's happening on Side, And plenty of giveaways too From 12 here on Cork's 96 FM A proper little debate going down on our text from WhatsApp about the amount of money that you should give for a communion um, or what else you should give or not give for a communion. I'll come back to some of them in a while. Most people in around the 20, 40, 50, if you know the child really well, 50, maybe a little bit more than 50 or whatever you can afford is the other thing or they're too young to be getting money at all. I'll come back to them. 0818 96 96 96. Think of all of the people you know. Chances are, if you know 13 different people, and we all do, one of them has asthma or has had asthma at some point in their lives. And one in five of us, this is the statistic that uh, I hadn't seen before, one in five of us will suffer from some form of asthma in the course of our lives. And one in ten children have asthma. Today is uh, Asthma Day and this is Asthma Awareness Week. I'm joined first by Sarah O'Connor, who is the CEO of the Asthma Society of Ireland. Those stats are stark, Sarah, particularly the one that at least one person a week still dies of asthma in Ireland. It's still a huge problem. Good morning. Good morning, TJ. It is a huge problem. And actually, um, I suppose one of our points of concern is that asthma deaths rose from roughly about one a week to being uh, one every five days. That's the most recent figures that we have access to from the HSE. Uh, so for us, our overarching mission and vision is to stop asthma deaths in Ireland. That's what directs, governs and motivates us um, on a day-to-day basis. Um, and the piece of research that you're talking about, which we run um, as part of our Asthma Awareness Week campaign, is all around asthma in children because we're focusing on that this year to learn more about what it means to have a child, to look after a child, um, and what kind of surrounds they need in the broader society for them to be asthma safe. There was a a kind of a thing said about asthma in children that they grow out of it. Yeah, and and the the clinicians who who work with us, who are volunteers with us, would say that yes, a proportion of children do grow out of it, but I suppose some of the bigger learnings that we're undertaking now in terms of respiratory health would say that maybe um, a child who might have asthma might go out of it at a particular point in their childhood, but it might return in a different way, shape or form later on in their lives. So it might be, I suppose, an indication that they would have, you know, a different relationship with respiratory health to maybe the fully healthy person. Um, But there are still a very substantial cohort of people for whom it's a lifelong illness and 
or speaking to one of those people uh, themselves. And yeah. my little fella, um, who's uh, just a toddler, has been diagnosed with um, with asthma himself in the last number of weeks. So we're hoping he may be one of the kids who goes out of it. But really, um, anybody's best. And you have to uh, mind them, look after them, and uh, work with your healthcare professional hand in hand to mm. make sure you're keeping them safe along that journey. During the course of the of of COVID, we were we're all was told, you know, people with asthma, especially vulnerable to the virus. How did it affect people? Well, I suppose the 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 piece about the virus, you know, we're still looking at the data coming through, and and as people know, I mean, um, COVID is such a new illness for us all to be learning about, and I think all of the doctors and the clinicians are really um, working hard to try and figure out what does this mean, what are the ramifications of it, and as we can see as we go along, learning about long COVID and other aspects of it, we really don't know very much right now. Mm. But I suppose what the survey we launched this week told us about COVID and asthma in children is that actually had a very substantial quality of life and health impact on them. Um, For example, one of the findings that came through was that 19% of respondents, so mums, dads, carers, had avoided or delaying going to hospital um, for their child's asthma due to fears of contracting COVID-19. So that was a, a point of worry and a point of concern for us. Yeah. Um, and then, for example, um, about 59%, so that's, you know, 6 in 10, said that um, uh, they were unsure as to whether their child's symptoms were as a result of COVID and asthma. And that seemed to happen over and over and over for lots of families. And we had that situation in our house as well. And about 16% said that the uncertainty about whether something was COVID or asthma actually meant that there was a delay in the appropriate care. Yeah. So those are some of the medical pieces that COVID has done with the pieces that came through really strongly, TJ, um, which, you know, are a little bit hairy things for long and um, you know really to um, the challenges that kids with COVID face so you know increased bullying and exclusion in school as a result of having asthma the similarity between asthma and, um, and COVID symptoms as I've mentioned very frequent testing for COVID because every time they were displaying asthma symptoms they had to get checked possibly knock on delays and getting in uh, to the GP or to the hospital as necessary yeah. on lots of school days lost lost and lots of school days lost um, and just some of the testimonials coming through from parents reflecting how their child felt about asthma, really quite troubling to read, you know, um, children being mocked and excluded, laughed at and bullied by their classmates who, mm. you know, were telling them that they had COVID or, um, you know, maybe treating them in a way that really shows that um, we have a lot of education to do, yeah. you know, of ourselves as adults and of children to help them to understand what asthma is, what it is as an illness, and how to help them look after children. That, that's that's upsetting research. Sarah, thank you. I'll leave it there with you because the line isn't the best in the world. I want to go to Sinead, Sinead Tyvey, um, your daughter, Fern, uh, eight, eight, nine years of age, Sinead, and has asthma. And, and how does it affect her life? Good morning to you. Um, I'm the proud mother of the wonderful Fern. She's always had asthma. She was first um, went into hospital when she was three weeks old with a little chest infection. Um, since then, over the nine years, um, she's been hospitalised numerous times. I can't count how many times we've gone by ambulance. Um, she just, it's always been part of her life. She has a great understanding of it. And as she gets older, she understands it more. She's absolutely outstanding for taking her medication. Mm. She takes inhalers every day. Um, she also takes a little pink tablet, which is singular. Um, her asthma is probably slightly different. It comes on very slowly. It starts with a little cough and then it could just, at night time, it's always worse. Um, she'll start wheezing. 
and then over time it'll just get worse and worse and the breathing will get laboured um as she gets older have you you managed to identify at this stage the triggers that the things that set it off um it's not really a trigger it's just you know a simple little cold if you got a little chill it can right. just go from there. Um, like, I mean, when she was smaller, she had eczema and things like that, which all go hand in hand with it. But for furring, it's just that probably her immune system isn't up to the same. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com as everyone else and just a little cold could um, start this off and it just it just slowly over a few days it will just get worse but we've learned now not to take chances with it anymore um and i'll get her to the gp as quickly as i can and things like that and when it starts and when you can sense it coming are, are there things you can do to intervene and head it off or do you have to let it take its course um, her inhalers, she takes Beclazone and she also takes her Ventolin, which is her reliever, her blue inhaler, which we, we would up the doses on that to try and help her. Now, not always does it, it does work, but sometimes she needs a little bit extra help then and it might just simply be an antibiotic or steroids and often it's, you know, um, into hospital and they take it from there and she could be on oxygen and things like that. That's scary. Um um, well, do you know what? When you're caught up in the moment, you just have to deal with it. Yeah. You said to me um, that there's, there's been a fair few late night rushes to hospital, has there? Oh, absolutely. I don't know how many times um, people have been outstanding when the paramedics come through the door. You actually breathe a sigh, a sigh, uh, a sigh of relief yeah. to know that you're in the right hands then. But it always, you know, at night time, of course, when it's quiet at night, it always seems that little bit harder. Yeah. Do you worry for her as she gets older? What's, do they know will it get better or worse? Because some kids grow out of it. Do they know? Um, every year you hope. And every year she gets a little bit stronger in herself. And you just hope. Yeah. It's an awful thing, isn't it, to have to 
deal with a sick a sick child, that child that can get sick so easily. It's, it must be very hard for you and, and the rest of the family. Well, it actually is very hard. I have two other kids and only recently one of them said to me, why is she always sick? And it's just something she can't help. Yeah. Because if you met Fern, she's the toughest, bravest. Sorry, and you're getting no, you're very okay. emotional. You're okay. Love it. <laughs> she is the toughest, most amazing little girl. And okay. at the moment, she's extremely, extremely good. good. And she's so active, like she's swimming, she's gymnastics, she's um, she has her pony. She's Irish dancing. And you know what her attitude is? Okay, ma'am, I can't go to swimming or Irish dancing this week, but I want to go next week and I'll go more. You know, she will not let something get her down. She has the greatest attitude in life. Fantastic. She's so determined. Were you were you scared for her during during COVID? Oh, absolutely. I had her wrapped in cotton wool and bubble wrap and everything just to protect her. Um, but we got through it. We were very lucky we got through it, but I suppose it affected the other kids then. They weren't allowed to go places and do things. Yeah. And how do they but, take that? They, don't, they, they love, um, their, they love their, their sister, but this thing that... Oh, they love her and they kill her at the same time, but <laughs> she, um, she, yeah, she just has, um, just, she just has the most wonderful effect on people. She just lights up the room. So when she's on farm, she, everyone knows she's around. And her sister and brother, um, they're they're wonderful to her. Um, her brother has mild asthma. I had it as a child, so we do have a great understanding of it and how you feel and you know how it runs you down and the exhaustion of it. And um, just Fern is just such a positive child. She she you knows she takes her medication. It's laid out in front of her every morning, and um, she calls her inhalers, her puffers. And if you were rushing, she go, "Mom, you never gave me my puffer." You know, she's very good and there's never a problem with taking things. So she has, in fairness to her, no, she has made life very easy for me. I mean, we could be battling every morning, but she doesn't. She knows it's there to help her. And the Asthma Society have been just absolutely amazing to me. Um, Kira, the asthma nurse, rings me. She's actually ringing me later today. She rings me every three months just to check in with her. And I mean, it's just a help and reassurance that I get there and even just for someone to turn around and say, look, you're doing a great job. You're getting her there. We do have our mishaps as we go along, but um, that's just life. And for Fern, um, October to March is always our hard time when the weather changes, yeah. you know, when the damp weather comes in or the cold. Like, she's your typical little girl. Like, she'll run out, off out into the garden with no jacket on and you're running after to put on the jacket and things, you know. So she does get a little chilly every now and again. But um, look, the asthma society are just so amazing to us and the little tips we get there you know the the asthma plan and the school have been excellent um like in our house there's always a hospital bag ready waiting in case but that's just like someone said to me one day that's not normal it is for us it's just we have to be prepared and ready yeah and like fern is she's just she just knows and often she's come to me she goes mom i think i need to go to the doctor um, oh, she'd she's know that, herself. She's like, that in tune oh, with herself. Oh, she is. Wow. Oh, even as a small little thing, she is just amazing. And um, she, 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 she battles it as much as possible. Like yeah. you know, she'd say, "No, I'm fine." She never ever complains. But then no, she'd I'm good. Say, "Ma'am, we need I'm to good. go," and you go. 
Yes, absolutely. You don't. If she says she's bad or she feels she's unwell, I know we really need to move, you know. And, everything um, in that bag. Yeah. Yeah. And I must say our GP is excellent. They'll always make room to see her. Um, they know her so well now at this stage. Well, I mean, it's not over nine years now since she's been three weeks old. It's kind of gone. We have um, a wonderful paramedic that will come as well when we need him. He's been outstanding to us since she's been very small. Great. So we've a lot of people to thank. They've got us there. Yeah. And um, like Fred has gone off to school today, a happy-go-lucky, typical her. Yeah, and I mean, she's she's a little daredevil then in the middle of it all. She'd chance anything, but oh, like well, asthma they, they isn't going that's, to stop that's, her. That's part of being yeah. nine, do you know what I mean? And yes. Just, <laughs> it's all, all her stuff is covered, isn't it, on the LTI scheme, isn't it? The long-term illness scheme, isn't it? Asthma's on that, isn't it? Um, yes, it is. Well, she has, um, yes, she does have a medical card because Ferd also has epilepsy. Oh, so, um, yes, um, so, I mean... It, all her medical medicines are covered good, now. Good, well, that's a relief. Um, because yes, well, we really needed it at that stage because she's on quite a bit. Yeah. But um, like she, she takes it all on the chin, and she she fights asthma as best she can. She puts up the best battle every time. Um, like she, she's so brave when she's in a hospital too. Nothing is ever a problem. Yeah. Do you know, she just she. Well, I suppose she's so used to it. Yeah, and your, your, um, your pride in her shows through. Sounds oh, she's amazing. <laughs> Sinead, thank you for being with us, and our best to the whole family, but especially to young Fern, who's nine. Childhood asthma is the focus of Asthma Week this year. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. The air pollution is a thing. I didn't get to that with Sarah because the the line was. And trying to play up on us, but they, there, there was a, there, there seemed to have been a, a fallback in attacks, particularly adults, during lockdowns because factories were closed and traffic was off the road. Just a statistic worth reporting. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Ashley Campbell, daughter of the great Glenn Campbell, returns to the Barris Clonakilty for her second visit on Sunday, May 8th. Tickets are on sale now from the venue or from Debar Access all areas. For nearly 20 years, John Spillane has performed at the Barra's Clonakilty, continuing this legendary residency throughout the pandemic with virtually streamed performances from the folk club at the height of the lockdown. This month's show takes place this week on May 5th. Access all areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us on aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Some of your thoughts on communion money in just a sec. But this one has come in. We've sent an email to uh, USIT, the, the, the student travel people. But I don't know if anyone else has a problem like this. So my daughter applied for the J-1 visa back in January. She's due to fly out on May 25th. Flights are booked and she has a job sorted, but the visa hasn't arrived and we've had no word from Use It. 
We tried to ring them. We can't get through. We also emailed, but no reply. My daughter's really stressed and we don't know what to do. Has anyone else had a similar problem? So this is what, the 4th of May. And so three weeks today, actually, would be the 25th, wouldn't it? Three weeks today. So she's due to fly out three weeks today. Visa applied for back in January. Flights booked, jobs sorted. No sign of the visa arriving yet. You don't say whether or not she has been approved. I'm assuming at this stage you know. But it hasn't arrived, and she's getting stress. No word from USIT. That's the student travel people. We've sent them an email. I was just wondering if anyone else has a problem with this. It comes up regularly with the J1. There's always a kind of a lastminute.com issuing of the visas. Because the last couple of years, people weren't really going anywhere with, with COVID and stuff. Certainly, they did get nowhere in 2020. Some people did go in 2021. Uh, but the J1s are back this year. And I suppose if it's anything like the pass, passports, it'll be best not said, the better. Um, but we'll see if anyone's got a problem like that. So is there anybody waiting at the moment for a J1 that hasn't arrived? And that may be a question that I don't know the answer to. Do, do, I, I assume that this caller knows they've been approved for the visa, but it just hasn't come. Anyone else can help there? 0818969696. Right on communions. PJ, it's 20 euro for a friend's child, 30 for family, or 50 for a godchild. Helena says it all depends. If it's a neighbour or a friend of the family, you're talking 20 quid. If you're related to the child, you're kind of talking through with the child and the parents about what they're going to do. It's, it's a life moment. But, like, if you're not... If you've got much money, the family should literally say not to spend too much. That's just manners. Sheila says 20 to 25 euro for a friend's child. More for a relative, but at the end of the day, it's the thought that counts. You also have to factor in how large is the family. Like, we all know there's six or seven communions coming up. And that can happen. People are understanding about it. God, can you imagine that? Can you imagine having six or seven communions in May? Fiona has two and she's stressed out about it. Can you imagine having six or seven communions in May? Has that ever happened to anybody? I think we had two at one point. One at the start of May, one at the end of May. Six or seven, get to a lot. From Sarah, I think when it comes to communions, the kids get so much money they don't know what to do with it. I'd give 20 quid to a kid I wouldn't know very well and 50 to a child I did know well. They won't ever remember how much you gave. It's not the same as when I was younger. I remembered everybody who gave me 50 quid. I'm not that old, but they get so much now they won't remember. You see, Sarah, it's not the child remembering that some people worry about. It's the parents. Oh, look at there, someone. Uh, 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 and the job he has, and the car she drives, and 20 twenty euro to the child. This is, you have it for him. You can hear it being said. You can hear it being said. I have a communion myself next week. I'd be mortified if people gave that kind of money. I'd prefer if they gave a tenor or a memento, like a little bracelet or a pair of earrings for the child. Times are so tough now. 50 euro is a lot for an eight-year-old. My eldest is nine. Got a porcelain ornament of a communion girl as a gift. We still have it. The money's well gone. I asked godparents to get the watch and the chain... Got the dress and duns for 100 quid, and it's all gorgeous. Tracy says 50 euros more than enough as an aunt. 
They're eight years of age. God help us by the time they get to their 21st. Yeah, that's the thing. If you're giving an eight-year-old 50 quid, what'll you have to give them when they're 21st? Yeah. A share in the house? PJ, how much you give for Holy Communion? It's up to yourself. You can give anything from 20 to 100. It's entirely your business. It depends personally on what you can afford. I think 20 is enough. My godchild's confirmation was in March. Our confirmation is a whole different industry, though. I gave a, I gave 100... What? I gave 100 euro for shoes, 100 euro in a card, and 50 euro towards a cake. Holy moly. Oh, wait, one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Yeah, uh, just to let us know, thanks for this. Uh, asthma is not covered under the long-term illness programme. I honestly thought that it was. Sarah O'Connor was back on to say that one of the findings of their survey indicated that 26% of parents struggle with the cost of medication. Actually, the list, there's the thing, the list of illnesses that are on the LTI, and I, I know this because uh, my boy has, has a form of epilepsy, mild epilepsy, so his meds are covered under LTI, so that's why I know a bit about it. But the list of illnesses that are on it, ridiculously short, like, very, very short list. Thanks, Sarah. 0818 96 96 96, and thanks to everyone who's having their thoughts about communions. Fiona's still looking a bit bemused outside as to how much she's going to have to shell out. But I I'm, 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 can't imagine what you'd do if you had five or six communions in one go. Now, one of the things that people need when they're running a business, I guess, is someone to design graphics for them. Um, and it's hard to get a good graphic designer. So, down at Network Ireland West Cork, they've come up with an idea. Why not do your own? Why not learn to be your own graphic designer? Marie Wiseman is president of Network Ireland West Cork. Marie, good morning. Good morning, Peter. How are you doing? Good. You've got a, an event coming up uh, tonight, actually, at, at half past seven. But it's, it seems the, a very simple, logical solution. It's so hard to get a good designer. Why not do your own? Absolutely. And and the thing is as well, you know, our, our attention spans are getting less and less. So actually having good graphic design on your, you know, on social media posts and stuff like that is just really a great way of actually drawing attention um, to your posts versus somebody else's. So, um, so yeah, so Canva has kind of exploded in popularity um, recently. But if it's something that you've never kind of used before, it can still be a bit intimidating. Mm. What is so Canva? That, <laughs> so Canva is is basically it's um, it's a graphic design app um, that's actually very very accessible, very easy to use, and it's free. Um, so and you can access it from your desktop or or your phone, and you can use it to create really really good social media posts, presentations. You can create a logo on there. You can do invites if you've got like a christening or a, you know confirmation or something coming up. So you can use it for your business, but you can also use it for your personal life. So it's it's just really handy. Mm. And um, it does the heavy yeah, lifting, is that it? It does, exactly. And, you know, you don't have to have, you know, design skills yourself. You can just, um, you know, use this, as you say, to do the heavy lifting for you and just kind of follow along. So, um, so yeah. So, so the workshop this evening then is to show people how to use the app effectively. 
That's it, exactly. So what we've done is we found um, three of our members, two here in West Cork and one lady is joining us from Waterford, um, who are using Canva in different ways, either in their business or their personal life. So they're going to share how they're using it with everybody that's going to be on the call. And um, and yes, yeah, sort of kind of go from there so people can get a real perspective of just what Canva can offer. So, yeah, so it it should be really good. Stuart, so, who have you got to talk tonight? So we've got a lady called Jean Sullivan Belici, who's a life coach, um, author and a marketing expert here in West Cork. I've spoken to her. Um, actually, we've got, yeah. You have indeed, yes. So uh, she's part of our committee as well. So she's great. Um, Sharon Huggard, you may know as well. She's the founder of The Style Coach. And then we've got a lady from um, Waterford, who's Milo Power, who's Managing Director of Monkey Reusable Products. So there are three speakers. People are obviously thinking now about Canva. Like, is it, do you pay for it? Is it a free app or do you have to sign up to it or what? There is um, a free version, which for 90% of people is is more than adequate. Um, There is a pro version if you're sort of using it all the time. And, you know, there's certain sort of colors and stuff like that, that there are benefits to that. Or if you've got multiple people um, wanting access to it, then it can be handy. But for most people, it's free. Now, is this this an in-person event tonight or is it online or both? We've actually decided to keep it online simply because it is is all about sort of, you know, a... An online application anyway and um, and also the feedback from our members is much as they love face-to-face events actually having um, online events can be first handy as well in terms of you know accessibility etc so we've decided to stick with it online tonight it's on a, details on Eventbrite it's for your own members it's that's, free and then 15 euro for non-members as, as with most of your that's events. it exactly that's okay. it exactly yeah. okay. it'd be interesting for, for, for anyone I'd say anyone running a business or anyone even running a, a podcast or a blog or any kind of a an enterprise the interesting one that's uh, Marie Wiseman president of Network Ireland West Cork Canva I've never seen it or heard of it before now Canva is an app that does all the graphic design heavy lifting for you if you're into that and if you're got running your own business and you figure you could use design Eventbrite you'll find details of that tonight 15 quid for non-members of the Network Ireland West Cork and uh, free for members. 0818 96 96 96. Every day is a school, a school day. I knew nothing about Canva. Come here, where are we? Shall I find this? Oh yeah, Premier League. They're back this weekend. We, I said at the top of the programme, you know, if Liverpool actually managed to do what people think they, they excuse me, think, people think they might do, they're going to be insufferable. And if they do what people think they might do, they're entitled to be unsufferable for a little while. Kevin already said this morning he's going to be absolutely unbearable for a while. Yeah. Well, Premier League live back this Saturday at 96FM.ie with Trevor Welsh powered up by Talk Sport. Coming to the business end now. Live coverage of Chelsea versus Wolves at 3, Brighton against Manchester United at 5.30. It's the Premier League Live online with now stream live Premier League action with an now sports or sports extra membership. And listen Saturday on the app, on the Cork's 96FM app, or indeed you can go to 96FM.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Let's get 
We're back to the music. The Quartz 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100 euro Just Eat voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Let's get down, let's get down to business. Join the Quartz 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. 0818 The number to call. The text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96 alright couple more chances for you to do this uh, to get into this we're going to give giving you tickets to see the National live at the Marquee June 6th and a dinner pre-concert meal at Sober Lane 6th of June and we want fans of the National to win this so the clue is a little difficult alright what is this song by the National Okay. Text or WhatsApp its name and yours to 083 396 Not giving you much of it because we want you to be a fan to win that prize. Also coming up a little later in, in this hour, I said to you earlier on, may the 4th be with you. It's Star Wars Day, International Star Wars Day. There's a whole festival devoted to it. We'll tell you more about that before the end of the day. But... Uh, debating, a great skill to have, a great skill to learn in your teens. And a Cork school debating team has now become all-island champions after successfully arguing a motion against, or arguing against a motion of Ireland's continued commitment to military neutrality. It's a hefty subject, and your debaters are all in their... Mid-teens, 16, 16, 16 and 16, all 16-year-olds, they opposed the motion. It's a hefty topic for for discussion in any debate. Leanne O'Neill is the Schools and Youth Programme Coordinator for Concern. Leanne, good morning. Leanne, can you hear me? Hi, good morning, PJ, how are you? It is a hefty topic, but tell me about the competition. Yeah, um, so basically, uh, Concerned Debate started in uh, 1984, so it's one of the longest running um, schools programmes and debating programme in Ireland. Uh, this year there was 140 schools, and as you said, the uh, Mount St. Michael from Ross Carby came out on top. Um, so they debated um, a, a number of motions to do with the Sustainable Development Goals and international humanitarian issues throughout the year, so it started in September, and then the final was two weeks ago in um, the end of April. Mm-hmm. How were um, these so, topics decided? Uh, yeah, we kind of would decide them ourselves in Concern. So I work with Concern Worldwide and we, we pick um, kind of humanitarian issues and we use the sustainable development goals as kind of focus points and then we kind of go from there. So we had lots of different motions on climate change, fast fashion, um, billionaires going to space and kind of poverty and then uh, military neutrality. That was the final motion. 
Yeah, there's a lot of interesting past participants, I see. Pascal Donoghue, for example, the Minister for Finance. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, kind of previous debaters as well. Um, There's a man well well able to talk himself out of a corner if he has to. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You'd want to be in that line of work. Stay there, Leanne, because I'm joined by Lauren O'Donovan. I think, Lauren, you have some of your other team members with you. You were captain of the team from uh, the Mount St. Michael in Ruscarbury. Good morning. Congratulations. Morning. Thank you very much. What does debating mean to you? How did you get involved in the first place? Um, So in transition year, our school has a module for debating. So um, we just signed up for the class and I was interested in it because I'm interested in public speaking. Um, So there was about 10 people in our class, but then um, there was four people picked to be on the team for the actual debate. Yeah. Will all the teachers be half afraid of you now that you're the champions? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Like, would you be, would you follow the Doyle? Would you follow the House of Commons? Other, do you, do you take an interest in people who speak well in public? Um, I would have had an interest over the past few years, especially in classes like CSP, I would have had an interest. So that's kind of why I picked debating. Have you, have you a favourite public speaker that you really admire? Um... I kind of like listen to speeches by like Leo Varadkar and Michal Martin, those kind of ones. Now, neutrality is a tough subject. Um, and like, did you did you have to think an awful lot about about it for preparing for a debate like this? Yeah, there was um, a lot of information that we had to get. So when we get our motions, we do a lot of research for the first bit, um, and. So we did lots of research and then we found out more about the motion. Mm, yeah. Did you, do you think that at the end of it you have a, an understanding of the issue? Yeah, definitely. Um, there's one key part that we thought that neutrality was in the Constitution, but then the main part we found out is that it's actually not. So yeah. Yeah. I find that quite interesting. Did you have thoughts? I mean, as a, as a 16-year-old citizen, you, you have your own thoughts on everything. D- did your thoughts on neutrality change during the course of your debate? Um, I definitely think they did on the fact that we should definitely discuss it more and become more aware of what our neutrality is. How do you practice? Do you use a you know, camera on your phone or other apps? How do you practice? How do you assess yourself? Um, our main way, well for me anyway, of practicing is I stand in front of the mirror and I have my speeches on cards so then I keep going over them while looking at myself in the mirror so that mm. I can see how persuasive I look or Yeah, there's, there's a trick in that isn't there that you have it on a card but yeah, you want yeah. to deliver it in such a way as you don't seem to, you either don't have to look at the card or your audience doesn't realise yeah. you're looking at the yeah. card yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of practice in that. Would would you ever think about becoming a a politician or anything like that now? Um, it's definitely made me more interested in all of the topics that we did, like their current problems in the world. So um, I do have more of an interest now. Yeah, yeah. You're. I think one of your colleagues on the team uh, was with me on the show only a while. Yeah, that's Orna. Yeah, Orna talking about the the vote. For yeah. you. So you're all very, you're all very active. The the other members of the team. This is Lauren, uh, Orla Tobin, Ellie McCarthy, Orna O'Brien, uh, and and Lorraine. Lorraine Tevin, yeah. Lorraine Tevin. Well, congratulations to you all. Uh, 
all Thank three you. debating champions. And, um, and and whatever you choose to to do in the future, uh, best of luck to you all with it. I have no doubt I will hear. As I said last last week when I spoke to Orna, I was very impressed at the way she made her point about uh, young people having the vote extended to them. So I have no doubt that you'll all be formidable opponents to anybody who should stand in your way for the rest of your careers. Take care, guys, and thanks very much. That's Leanne O'Neill, who has the other members of that team with her. 0818 96 96 96. Yeah, Ross Carberry's Mount St. Michael. Okay, um, <clears throat> I wanted to bring this up. This came in to me there a while back and I was going to read it and I forgot. Hi PJ, I was on the radio to you not so long ago about my landlord who won't accept HAP and won't fix the mould in the house and who took my partner's bike out of the shed and left it standing against the wall. Just, oh, I remember that now. Just an update what's been going on. She's now given us six months notice to be out. Uh, we have to be out in November and also didn't have us registered as tenants for the past five and a half years. So we will find ourselves homeless a month before Christmas. We've seen so many properties for viewings, and we just find ourselves standing there with a hundred other people. It's really unsettling to us and to my 14-year-old daughter. If any landlord out there listening could help, it would be magical. Yeah, I know who that is, and we had a great chat, and a very nice individual, a very decent skin of a person to talk to and uh, their landlord has given them six months now and there's the thing you see you get six months but no one will touch you like you can't wander in there's another big problem with the house with the homeless situation you can't just wander in and register yourself and say well I'm going to be homeless in six months I need help no they'll say come back when you're homeless and when you have your hands hanging to you and your child crying next to you that's when you've got to come back which is bonkers. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks ninety six FM with the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at corkcitymarathon.ie. Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson showed up with their first red carpet together. I've, it's already started to happen. She's definitely styling him. Well, he's wearing a pair of knee-high boots or something. <laughs> <laughs> he's got, this is completely like not what he normally looks like because he's normally wearing like t-shirts and yeah. ripped jeans and chains and all this kind of stuff. Uh, I, I'd say, to be honest with you, she just pulled him inside. She's like, Pete, we're going to a red carpet. Okay. And you're, you're not wearing Pokemon runners. Oh, but I like the Pokemon runners. You can bring your game by, but you can only use it in the car, but you're not wearing Pokemon runners, okay? <laughs> One of the most iconic movie themes of all time, the theme from uh, Star Wars. And today is Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you, the 4th of May. And it is the start of a festival in Kerry to do all all to do with Star Wars. And, and the Irish Connection, Dave Bourne and John Murphy join me. Dave, good morning. And John, hello to you. Good morning, PJ. 
Hi. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Dave, I'll start with you. It's a unique idea for a festival. Why a festival about Star Wars in Kerry? The connection is, of course, the Skellig, isn't it? It is, uh, PJ. The, um, well, the uh, Port McGeehan County Kerry was the base for, um, for the film shoot for The Last the last Jedi, and they did also did the Force Awakens down there. So um, the location's incredible, PJ. You've probably been down there before. And you, yeah. you know the uh, the Skelligs are uh, iconic. You know, so um, um, Fudge Ireland back in 2019 had contacted us. I'm also involved with the 501st Ireland Garrison. Um, so uh, the guys in Port McGee asked me to come down and have a chat with them with regard to hosting a, a festival down there. And um, they wanted the 501st Garrison down there with their with their Star Wars costumes to uh, to help promote the area uh, and to put Ireland firmly on the Star Wars map. Yeah, tell people who wouldn't be familiar about the the Garrison. That's uh, the fa- yeah, yeah. The 501st uh, Garrison. Uh, it's it's a worldwide organization with over five thousand members around the world, and we 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 have our own garrison in Ireland. And what we do is uh, we build costumes to to a very, very close standard to, to what you see in the film. So if you see any of the garrison at a, at a shopping centre or a fundraising event or at a hospital for children, the costumes that they're wearing are almost identical to what you see on the big screen. So your Darth Vader is next next to identical as, as what you see, you know, in, in any of the Star Wars films. So... Um, we've a very big membership in Ireland. Uh, we've got some fantastic costumes, and especially during COVID, during the pandemic, where normally we would be out and about raising money for money for charity. Uh, because we couldn't do that, we were sort of back at home. But what we were doing in the meantime was make, make it even more fantastic costumes, which we're going to be bringing down to Port McGee and Kerry this weekend. Fabulous, John. Bring you in here at this point. I remember watching the the, the film with the Skellig in it. And looking at it and thinking, that is never Kerry. It's amazing, isn't it, to have such an iconic part of our own landscape? Uh, it is, PJ. It's, it, to, to say that people were happy to see the Skelligs on the big screen is an understatement. I think anybody down in South Kerry in the Skelly Coast region uh, was just delighted that they, they, they picked the Skelligs for such an important part of the Star Wars universe as well. It's not just any location or any planet. It's the, the center of the Jedi universe. And yeah. since, since that movie has, has, has gone out, you know, the amount of people that have come to visit to, to see it from the base that they learned about the Skelligs uh, from the Star Wars films is fantastic. But I think from our side, we're also very proud that when people do arrive and even if they've come uh, as Star Wars fans, they, they come away and they leave with a lot more as well. They get to see the beauty of the location itself. They're welcomed so friendly by the local people. Like we're delighted to have fans arrive at any stage. And I suppose the May the 4th, the Ritu Festival is a, is a key moment for us to be able to kind of say, look, we, we love the whole idea of the Star Wars franchise and we're happy to welcome people. And we, we create this celebration with them and with the 501st Garrison and, and everything that they do, it's really a special week and a special uh, weekend is created for fans, uh, families and, and anybody who's visiting the area at the time. So we're very happy with it. Yeah. You have events starting tonight with your opening ceremony right up to the weekend, including a full-scale Comic-Con at the weekend. That, that's right, yeah. So the, the Comic-Con itself will be running on the Saturday and the Sunday in the Port McGee Community Centre. But leading up to that, there's several other events planned in local bars, local areas. We have a treasure trail where we have 
several different Star Wars characters plotted along the Skelly Coast so that uh, fans and families and so on can go around and try and find all these characters and take pictures with them, you know, uh, hashtag them on social media. And I suppose actually the key part that we're actually launching as well is um, we're launching the online uh, registration is now open for a Star Wars, uh, well, what's called the May the Fourth Be With You Festival, which is going to be a, a Star Wars fan film and sci-fi fan film or sci-fi films uh, event. So what we're hoping for is that this time next year, we will have an award ceremony for uh, a variety of awards. So if you can imagine, it's like the Oscars, but for sci-fi films and for Star Wars fan films. Yeah. So that's what we're trying to launch this this year. Brilliant. Dave, what is the attraction? I mean, I remember the, the first time going to see Star Wars as a young fella and that iconic piece of music and those wonderful characters and you know my 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 particular favorite was little fellow who looked like a round tumbledore um you know R2D2. but what what is its enduring strength dave yeah well do you know what it is pj i remember going to see star wars with my father in 1977 so i would have been six six years of age with him uh, going to see that film and I went to see every every single Star Wars film with him, um, with him after, after that. It's passed on from generation to generation. I'm now doing that with my young son, you know, seven and eight-year-old uh, kids. And it's just something that, that clicks. And uh, we, we, we host a lot of outdoor movie events as well. And you can see, you know, fathers and sons uh, bringing their, their, their kids to an, outdoor, to an outdoor Star Wars night. And it's just that... that um, it's just that it just just seems to click and resonate uh, with 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 families, um, and it'll go on for years. You know, it'll go on for you know with grandchildren as well. It just seems to you know brings a lot of people together. Yeah, um, I had the same experience with my own son uh, a year or two ago. He loves action movies, and we just got them all, and we just watched them all over Christmas, and like. But to this day, John, they they stand up just as great pieces of filmmaking. Yeah, they they really do, and they've in some ways they've stood the, the test of time. And obviously, the new um, trilogies that have been released uh, more recently, you know, the, the effects do get that bit better and so on. Yeah. But I think it's really important as well is um, Disney have done a fantastic job of creating even more of the Star Wars universe, like the recent editions uh, um, such as The Mandalorian yeah. and The Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. Like it's it's opened up to a whole new. Uh, group of people like and there's so much more in the Star Wars universe and I think everybody can identify with some aspect of a character or a storyline that you know appeals to people and uh, as David said it's it's just you know you, a, a grandfather and their and grandchildren could enjoy this film just as equally as you know um Star Wars fans that are you know in their 30s or 40s or anything it's just, and there's it's just a lot so of fem- there's a lot of female fans as well you see a few female stormtroopers going around at an event Absolutely. Uh, we, we have the 501st have a, a very big contingency of fe- female members as well. So uh, um, just, just, just with regard to the films there very, very quickly, PJ, um, what's huge on YouTube now at the moment, if you pop onto YouTube now, is these fan-made films. So if you go onto YouTube and just uh, run a search for fan-made films, you will see hundreds, if not thousands of films made by Star Wars fans all over the world. And some are so incredibly well made. You think that these films were from Lucasfilms themselves. The special effects are incredible. And that's what we're going to do next year. At the moment, we've just launched that May the Fourth Film Festival. It's just gone online. People from all over the world can submit their films to us. We will have a panel of expert judges viewing those films 
next year then they would select a number of those films to be screened live at the festival next year and as uh, Joan said there there will be a very big award ceremony that will be screened live it'll be a live oh. event but it'll also be online and it'll be one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest um, uh, film festival events next year across the globe Okay, now you've got a website May the 4th be with you festival and most of your events seem to be free over the next few days um, that that's right. Yeah, we've we've really tried to make it as family friendly as possible and and to open it up. Um, so the, a lot of the events are, are are for free or are hosted for free. And uh, you know this is this is us just starting this festival. Like we see this is a long term project yeah. that you know in decades to come we will create this iconic Star Wars fan. Um, festival or fan film festival where people will, will come from around the world and will plan you know whole holidays based around being here for May the 4th and, and meeting I suppose kindred spirits down in the Skelly Coast and enjoying the not only the scenery the location and the, the, the crack that has down there but uh, everything to do with Star Wars as well of course. Okay. Lads I think you're on to something really special and you're right I think it's going to be an internationally successful festival within a number of years. Thank you both Dave Bourne and John Murphy organisers of the May the 4th be with you festival the inaugural one this weekend down in County Kerry based in Port McGee next year they're going to have a film festival made by fans the films made by fans I, I suppose I I was right to leave the guys go before I ask the ultimate question the question that has divided families oh it has oh it has divided families Oh, oh, don't have no doubt about it. This question has divided families. Well, I tell you what it is. I will in a minute. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks ninety six FM with the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Your soundtrack to help you through the afternoon in Cork with all your favourite tunes, everything that's happening on Leaside and plenty of giveaways too. From 12 here on Cork's 96FM. I'll actually hold off on that question and see, can anyone guess what it is? Uh, the question that has divided families when it comes to Star Wars. Anyone care to guess, text it to 083 396 96 96, just for fun it has divided families following up on earlier stuff to do with the J1 visa, IPJ, I'm a college student, I'm also struggling with the J1 process, along with all my friends who want to travel to the US at the end of May, use it have been no help whatsoever been on hold on the phone for days and days, for over an hour at a time getting nowhere Emails have been ignored, and looking on the various social media accounts, people are commenting with the same problems and distress. I've paid €850 Euro for a J1 bundle to organize and to be organised and helped with this process, but they've been far from helpful. Many people are now pulling out of the process as they have been getting nowhere. We have sent an email to use it to see if we can get a response to that. It's one that we'll follow up because I know a lot of listeners, and particularly a lot of uh, students, listeners, or parents of students, uh, trying to deal with J1 issues at this time of the year. We didn't have them for the last year or two, but they're back this year. 0818 96 96 96. Let us know if, this, if you're affected by any of it. I am a lineman for the county And I drive 
It was an iconic song, one of the iconic songs, the many iconic songs of the great, late great Glen Campbell and his daughter, Ashley Campbell. Uh, that's her singing that version of Wichita Lineman, which was one of uh, your my favourite tunes of all of your dad's repertoire, Ashley. Good morning and welcome to the Opinion Line. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Delighted. I was a, I was a fan of your dad, and I saw him two or three times, and I absolutely loved all of his iconic tunes. And like many fans, uh, I was so saddened to see his demise with with Alzheimer's. Um, and and to this day, you continue his legacy by singing his songs and and your own. Yes, that's right. Uh- I'm uh, I'm on tour here in Ireland. <laughs> I'm on tour here in Ireland. We actually just got in the car to drive to our first gig. We're playing in County Sligo. Right, and you're in Debarra's on Sunday. That's right, Debarra's. I played in Debarra's in 2019, and it was such a cool experience. It's it's such a unique and beautiful venue, and people trust it so much with you know who they bring in. Like some people didn't even know who I was; they just came because they knew a show was on that night. So. That's right. That speaks a lot for, that speaks highly of a venue. It's a very special venue and there are very special gigs there over the years. You toured with your dad, you you were part of his, of his band for years, weren't you? I was, yeah, I I played with my dad for about three years and including his goodbye tour when they were filming the documentary, Glenn Campbell, I'll Be Me. Yeah, yeah, that was a very difficult watch as a, as a fan. To see such a great icon, you know, deteriorating, but you helped him through it. That was, you had an incredible relationship with your father. We were very close. Yes, I mean, I was his youngest, uh, youngest child, and uh, we just had a pretty special relationship. And I, you know, I wanted to do everything I could to make sure he was taken care of. Yeah, when he announced prior to that tour that he had Alzheimer's, a lot of people said, "God, you know." How's he going to get through it? But he he did. It was a, an astonishing achievement, wasn't it, for him to just do that one last tour that he, he so much wanted to do. It really was incredible watching him perform, you know, because some, some nights he would be having a lot of trouble with, with his memory, but then he would walk on stage and it would be like nothing was wrong. Like, it was pretty incredible how, how music and the brain uh, share such a strong correlation. It was extraordinary, wasn't it, that he was failing off stage, but then could still keep it together on stage and do the and do the show. And the voice, the voice was pure gravel right through. It was great. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's, he's such a marvelous voice. So, and then you went and you wrote a very um, particularly beautiful song about as part of that documentary called Rem- called Remembering. Yeah, I wrote that song shortly after I moved to Nashville after the tour ended and I was missing my dad and I knew that eventually he wasn't going to be able to recognize me. So I wanted to write something that would be a way to communicate him with him when words couldn't. And for us, it was always music that we bonded over. Yeah, it's a terrible illness, isn't it, Ashley? It really is. It's devastating, but I'm so proud of my dad for coming forth and, and letting everyone know what he was going through because it let a lot of people who are going through the same thing know that they were not alone. 
Yeah, yeah. He, be, he actually, in a way, he became not just a, a musical icon, but he became, if you like, an icon for for the Alzheimer community. He did, yeah. He kind of, uh, he and our family kind of became the unofficial spokespeople. Yeah. <laughs> for the Alzheimer's cause, which you know we're happy to do anything we can to bring awareness and hopefully raise funds to find a cure. Sure. What? And then you make your own career now with your own your own writing. What influences you? Well, I was raised on music from my dad's era, so I'm heavily influenced by a lot of those artists. You know, especially the the classic country people like Dolly Parton, Merle Haggard, Roger Miller is a huge songwriting influence of mine. Um, so yeah, I kind of try and draw from from the classics to make something modern. Yeah, yeah. Working alongside your dad uh, for so long, has it formed you as a musician, as a writer? Yes, it absolutely has. Uh, you know, working with my dad for, for three years straight and, you know, being so close with him and playing night after night, you know, watching him on stage was like a master class in entertainment and showmanship. Mm-hmm. He was just so comfortable on stage and, you know, he just did his best and he played music that he loved and, you know, he didn't worry about anything else. Yeah. Your own particular instrument of choice, or is it your main instrument of choice, is the banjo. I've seen video of you play banjo. Astonishing banjo player. You must have picked up very, you must oh. have a very small child when you played it first, were you? You know, I didn't start playing banjo until I was about 20 years old. I, I was a theater major in college and they asked me to learn the banjo for a play that I was in because it took place in Kentucky and uh, they needed that kind of music. So I, I said, sure, I'd love to learn banjo. And, and I really just fell in love with it and took it from there. Yeah, it has a huge part, of course, in Irish music, the banjo. It does. Oh, yeah, I love it. I'd love to have a tenor banjo someday. Yeah. Do you, do you play it as part of the show? Will you be playing it in, uh, in the bars? I will be playing my banjo, but a five-string banjo, like bluegrass style. Gotcha, which is a lovely style. So it's uh, Sunday the 8th, and you're in Deborah's in uh, in, in um, West Cork, and the tickets are on sale as we speak. So Sligo tonight, and then where else are you headed? Uh, Monroe's in Galway tomorrow night, Letterkenny the next night, and then Belfast, and then we'll be down at Deborah's. Okay, well, you know what I think? I think Dad would be very proud of his little girl. Well, um, thank you so much. And and certainly you've you've carried on not just his legacy, but you're creating your own, which is which is inspirational. Thank you very much for being with me on the Opinion Line. That's Ash- Ashley Campbell, and good luck with the tour. And whoever's driving, tell them drive safely. You've a lot a lot of travelling to do. Thank you. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Yeah, the, the, Marg Mags, you're you're right. Uh, Wichita linemen will always remind us of our mutual friend Gareth. Uh, it was, I think, it was the last song he played. Well, he's back on radio now, which is great to see. But when he was retiring originally from the radio, I think, if I remember correctly, and if he's listening, and I'm wrong, he will correct me. I think it was the last song he played uh, when he was retiring the first time. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. I will give you that question that has divided families, but just to avoid it dividing yours right now, I'll wait until the very end. I'm sure if you're a real Star Wars fan, you'll you'll have been asked this question before. 
No? Okay. Terry has no idea. Thanks, Terry, for the graphics. Last time for this today, we're with Aiken Promotions all this week. Uh, the Live at the Marquee Festival starts at the end of the month. And we have tickets today for the National, who are at the Marquee June 6th. And you'll also get your dinner at Sober Lane before it. A pair of tickets to see the National Live at the Marquee on June 6th. We want a fan to win. Okay. What's that national song? Oh, wait, three. Three ninety-six, ninety-six, ninety-six. the name of the song and your name. Now, there's some very upsetting, distressing videos uh, put up on Facebook over the last couple of days. Not because anyone wanted to distress you, but just to show you what's going on. Uh, they were from Glengariff. And they were sent to the Irish Whale and Dolphin. And I'm trying to watch the video here now in front of me and describe it to you. There is clearly a beast struggling in the water just at the edge of the land. They're thrashing around, clearly in distress. Uh, you can't see any details of why there's the distress. Patrick Cooley is a sightings officer for the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group. This has been worrying people for a little while, Patrick. Good morning. Good morning. How are things? Good. Do we know what that creature is? Um, at the moment, no, we don't. Yeah, It's, it's one of two species. Uh, at, uh, we initially thought it was a pygmy sperm whale, uh, but now having consulted with some leading global experts on this species, it seems that there's a reasonable chance that it's actually a dwarf sperm whale. Now, both are first cousins of the giant sperm whale, which is Moby Dick, but they're much, much smaller animals, but they're, they're anatomically almost identical. Uh, so we're, we're, we, we hope in the next day or two to be able to confirm because the animal is actually now in the regional vet lab in Cork where they are doing uh, an autopsy to try and get to the bottom of it and part of that we should be able to uh, to confirm the species but it's remarkable here we have a whale uh, and we actually still not quite sure what species it is but there's a reasonable chance that it's a dwarf sperm whale and if it is it's a really important record because it's the first time this species has been observed dead or alive in Irish waters. We so didn't it know was, it had died. Sorry to hear that. I, the, my, my hope was, Padre, that someone would get to it and rescue it. Because you can't tell from the video, the angle of the video, how big it actually is. How big is this creature? Yeah, they're, they're not big animals, uh, and hen, hence the names either pygmy or, or dwarf. So they're about the size of a big dolphin, if you like. They're pretty, you know, this animal uh, was probably in, in the realm of two, two to three metres length. Uh, so if for a whale, it's you know we, we think of whales as being really big animals, you know, thirty to eighty foot long. But there are whale species out there that are actually really small, uh, and th- these would be among the smallest of our whale species. So yeah, unfortunately, as is often the case with single animals that strand, it's rarely a, you know um, it's rarely a good day in the office, and there's rarely a good news story at the at the end of it. You know th- those events where you've got a, a, a an animal singly stranding inshore, and you know. People People push it out and it swims off into the sunset. You know, that's really the stuff of, of Hollywood fiction. Yeah. The reality is 
you know, when these animals strand, in our experience of 30 years attending to strandings with the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group, there's rarely a good news story. Yeah, and it's because it, this is not a fish, this is an animal. It breathes air, and clearly, well, and think clearly, it looked as if it was trying to breathe, trying to thrash around to get a breath, because that's why they come up out of the water, isn't it? Well, that's right. They're mammals. So they breathe, they're, you know, as air-breathing mammals, they're breathing the same air we do. And, you know, you, you're probably going to ask me a whole load of questions to which Pliny the Elder, back 2,000 years ago in the ancient, in ancient Greece on the shores of the Aegean Sea, regularly and routinely watched strandings of whales and dolphins. And he scratched his head and he asked the very same questions. Why are these air-breathing, uh, what he thought they thought were fish at the time, why are they stranding on our beaches and 2,000 years later we find ourselves asking the very same questions without right. really knowing I mean we can speculate wildly and I can give you a whole lot of nonsense uh, about why we think it's stranded the honest, honest answer is without being able to ask the whale why it's stranded yeah. uh, we have absolutely no idea uh, but you know most animals you know every everything dies everything living dies and the reality is uh, when these animals live strand it it's often the situation where it's it's kind of it's a death that just hasn't quite happened yet, uh, and you know a lot of these animals die of perfectly natural causes. I I I know that our default setting is to blame somebody because you know this shouldn't happen. Well, of course it should happen. You know, animals, mm. mammals, fish. Everything dies, and they, it dies all the time. I think, it's because, time. I think it's because it looked so distressed, Patrick. I think that's yeah. what people were, were saying. Like, how did, it, how did it manage to get into that kind of circumstance? Was there someone to blame? And the simple answer is nobody really knows why, why it happens. We have a very rare sighting off our waters. Do, do, I think I saw a drone footage of a minky whale recently as well. Do we have a lot of whales in and around our coast? Ah, the last couple of, in the last month now, since, actually since very late March, early April, we've just been inundated. I know my, my friend and uh, colleague there, Colin Barnes, is running trips out from Reen Pier in Union Hall in West Cork. And uh, I was out with him last week and uh, on a research, just, you know, doing photo ID on whales. And uh, we had, you know, probably 20 to 30 whales. Now, there were trips last year where Colin was seeing, you know, 60, 70 whales, minky whales on a, on a four hour trip. But, we also have the humpback starting to arrive inshore now, and they've been reported in West Cork, and they'll, they'll stay here for a couple of months, mm. and then when they've you know they've used up the food resource, they'll push over towards West Kerry and the like. They're but yeah, huge. Are, are, well, they're, they're among the bigger whales, all right. Yeah. So I mean, right now, and we've got it's all about the weather for your listeners. If you want to go out, you know, pick a pick a good headland that looks out one of those wonderful Atlantic promontories and we've many of them to choose from in West Cork get a good pair of binoculars especially on a day like today the wind is light the sea is calm we've also got basking sharks I mean basking sharks are the planet's second biggest fish mm. and people are sending us in reports every couple of hours of basking sharks all, all along the Cork and Kerry coast so this is a superb time of the year for your listeners to get out and see some absolutely fabulous wildlife uh, and of course that's not detracting from the poor the incident the sure, tragic incident that happened in Glengariff you know but as a farmer said to me many years ago you know when you've got livestock you've got dead stock and unfortunately you know, you, you can't have more whales visiting places like Cork and Kerry Waters without there being more dead whales. One is a subset of the other. There was an old 
wives' tale, to use that expression, that if you saw a lot of Baskin sharks, I remember down, being down around West Cork when I was a small boy and, and seeing Baskin sharks down off, off the mizzen. Huge creatures. And the old wives' tale was they come here as a sign of good weather. Is there anything, any portent in that? Well, there is and there isn't. You can see them because of the good weather. You see, when we talk about good or bad weather, it's only good or bad on the surface. It doesn't make any difference to, to, to the fish or to the mammals that are living in it. Uh, but, but it's only in good weather that we can see these animals. Because in good weather, you've got calm seas and you've got light swell and you generally have good visibility. So people mistakenly have that association between, oh, you know, like the, the, the postman in Donegal who always says, oh, it's going to be, it's going to be great weather because there's dolphins in the bay. Well, you know, those dolphins were there in the previous days when the weather was rubbish. It's just that you couldn't see them. Uh, so, so that association between good weather uh, and, say, the likes of sharks or dolphins, but they're there in the bad weather as well. It's just that your ability to detect them is, is, is kind of not, ne- not nearly as good. In fact, we've got dolphins here in West Cork in particular right throughout the winter. Yeah. You know, I was seeing an awful lot more dolphins, say, off the old Hedekin sale in January or February uh, than I was in March or April, uh, even in May. So, I mean, we have a lot of these animals here year-round, uh, and but people, you know, they kind of switch off in September when the kids go back to school and think, oh, that's, that's the end of the marine wildlife watching season. It's not. You know, the wildlife watching can be fantastic here, in particular in West Cork, for about nine, even ten months of the year. But right now, uh, it's a fantastic time for people, not necessarily to get out on a boat, but even to get up onto the headlands with mm-hmm. your binoculars or a spot and scope and a flask of tea and a round of sandwiches and, and introduce the kids to one of the best wildlife shows on the planet. You, you, you paint a wonderful picture of a, of, an, of a good afternoon. Are any of these, lastly, are any of our visitors, call them that, are any of them dangerous to, to man? Uh, no, no, not, not, uh, not, not, certainly not that I'm aware of. I mean, even our basking shark, which people would feel trepidous about getting into the water with, you know, even they're sort of absolutely completely harmless uh, plankton feeders. But we would always caution boat operators. You know, if you're, you know, and, uh, and mem- listeners who, who have boats, if you're out in the water with these animals, give them a respectful distance because there is always the potential for accidents, you know, accidents that can, that can injure the actual whales or dolphins or sharks. And, and of course accidents that can end up in boats getting into problems so give wildlife a respectful distance and we'd ask members of the public if they have sightings or if they come across something like a stricken whale or a dolphin that's stranding to report your observations to the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group uh, and you can do that simply by downloading our app which is free to everybody Alright Podrick, thank you for that Podrick Hooley, Sightings Officer the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group Sadly that uh, dwarf or pygmy sperm whale that was sighted in Glengariff died. Uh, now they're doing an autopsy in the lab to see why. But a beautiful, beautiful creature, uh, unfortunately. But as he said himself, you know, you don't get wildlife without the death of wildlife. Thanks for that. 0818 Okay, Dermot. Courts 96 FM. Yeah, Dermot O'Sullivan, Clonakilty. Don't see him on the line, but he's today's winner. The National I Need My Girl is the name of the song. He's going off to see them in June and going to Sober Lane before. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10 year, 100,000 mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. 
Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.